0: Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. Today at the cafe, I have Per Wellander, freestyle skateboard legend, serial entrepreneur, and founder of many iconic brands in the skateboard industry including birdhouse and now a venture capitalist and co-founder of Wellender she capital to talk about his journey and his focus on helping young active lifestyle consumer facing brands turn into successful iconic brands as well Per welcome
1: thanks for having me
0: yeah absolutely before we um kind of get into the conversation why don't you take a a couple minutes and and tell the audience about yourself and a little bit about your journey not too much because we're going to get into that
1: yeah absolutely so I'm born and raised in Sweden and came over when I was 18 to uh, ride a skateboard really and uh, I got so hooked on it uh, I was taken care of by uh, some very nice skaters back then to kind of letting me sleep on the floor and get some scrap food. Um, And then it propelled into me making a call to my parents saying I'm not coming back to Sweden. And I've pretty much been there my whole adult life. And it turned into a 10-year pro career or so. Uh, I had a couple of stints in Hollywood, which was fun. And then, of course, a long, um, long uh, history with uh, skateboarding and building skate, skateboard companies. And the first one was with uh, uh, Tony Hawk, with our brand, Birdhouse.
0: So I can imagine you're, how old are you? You're, you're, you're young and you're telling your parents, I'm going to go to America and ride a skateboard. How'd that go over?
1: You know, it's funny. I actually warned my dad saying, you know, it's if things look good, I may stay. Uh, uh, but I did not tell my mom. So she was completely surprised and um, very supportive though, so uh, uh, no problem there. But it was—I'm sure she was a little bit surprised.
0: Well, it, it turned out well, as as you and I know, and uh, hopefully the audience knows when we're done talking about uh, today. So um, to to get started, I, I ask a few questions. So, and let's let's focus on what you're doing right now. So when you're thinking about growing. Um, you know, your venture capitalist business. What what keeps you up at night?
1: Well, there's two components to keeping you up at night. One is you constantly have to go look for capital because uh, the way the VC world works, you pool money into a fund, and then I manage that fund by finding really good opportunities and um, making sure that the investments we make are going to do really well. So the first component is just the con- con- constant look for capital, but perhaps most common in the VC world, which we've been lucky not to have, is the most common problem in VC is to find good enough companies to invest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're such a specialized uh, fund; we only focus on lifestyle and culture, uh, laced in with some technology that's related to it. So we've been very fortunate. Of kind of staying under the radar from the big vc groups and also we have fortunately a really good group of investors mostly from the creative industries and advisors all of them pretty much brand builders and from the creative industries so they really understand the power of storytelling and building brands which is of course my operational background, all those 25 years building companies. So in a nutshell, it's about finding enough capital to understand the power of what we can offer, because it's not the typical VC thing that may uh, go you know, 20x on the investment. Some of these take a little bit longer to build, but we also believe it's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more practical. It's a little bit more relatable to the companies we invest in. Okay, fantastic.
0: So next question then is, what is the best business advice you've ever given and or received, if it's different?
1: The best advice I've been given is, what are you going to do today? It's the practical approach from a a college professor at UCLA. Yes, but what are you going to do today? So that's the best advice I've ever been given, not just to keep thinking and dreaming. you got to do something to reach those dreams. So that's probably the best advice that's been given. Um, And the advice that I usually give to people that ask for career uh, help or ideas where they can look for uh, ways to enhance or advance their uh, professional career, uh, I usually say take a join Toastmasters, or take a sales course. And the reason I say that some people, they kind of frown on that, like, I'm not going to take a sales course, I'm not the salesman. But I said, it's so competitive out there. And if you compare two equally good engineers, for example, if one engineer is better at articulating and selling what he's good at, he's more likely going to have a better professional career, at least from the compensation perspective. So that's probably the number one advice I ask for people that are um, a little bit younger um, and look to advance their careers, because it's one thing to have it in your head, but it's another thing to present that idea in a good, simple, crystallized, distilled manner.
0: Okay, fantastic. And my last uh, question before we jump into the, the actual discussion, if your journey as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur was a book, what would the title of the book be?
1: That's a good one. I have to think about that. To me, it would just be go for it. Got to go for it.
0: Okay. And and, and I can see that makes sense. And, and, you know, from what I know of you, I mean, you went for it (laughs) those many years ago. And uh, so that makes that's that's perfect. That makes a lot of sense. So I I have to back one question. You mentioned my stint in Hollywood. So. What I don't I don't know this. So tell me about it. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, when I first came here my friend Bob Schmelzer and I, another freestyle skateboarder, we would go up to Venice Beach Boardwalk and perform. So we would gather a crowd, say, hey, come on, check out skateboarding. And we would skate uh, together for a few minutes and we would put out a hat. Uh, And of course, the idea was you would hope that people put in a few quarters and a dollar here and there, which they did. And then one day there was a business card in there and it was from the producer of Back to the Future. And of course, uh, a movie with a title before it's made means uh, nothing. (laughs) So like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So um, yeah, 35 years later, um, I still very pleased to say that I do get a royalty check in the mail. All right, so. Uh, so that was uh, the stint in, in Hollywood. I was the stuntman skateboarder for uh, Michael J. Fox in the movie Back to the Future. So that was the stint in Hollywood. Wow. And I did one more, which was more of a cult movie. Um, and the movie is called Thrashing. And the funny part there is I actually play myself and I got to say, uh, which I found really fun. So I'm reading the line that I was supposed to say. And the line said something like, vato loco, man. And I said to the director, look at me. Do I look like I'm a white guy? You know, I <laughs> I can't be legit and say vato loco, man. So I said, why don't I just say something in Swedish? And I did. Uh, there was like a, a expression to... Uh, um, uh, Josh Brolin, which of course now is, is, is a big, big star. I'm sure he's probably embarrassed of being in thrashing, but it was a great, cool cult movie. And, and, uh, it was a lot of fun to be part of it.
0: Wow. Well, I'm going to have to go back and, you know, back to the future is a, is one of my favorites. So I'm going to have to go back now and, uh, look at all the skateboarding scenes and and know that it was you. Yeah. I, was like, yeah. I love that. I had no idea. You realize I was looking this up that, it, and I'm not going to get the exact number, but you and I have now known each other, which is crazy, like 12 to 15 years.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's been a long time, which it is really been. nice, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great that, that you know, we can pick up the phone and still, you know, have a relationship. But yeah, yeah I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the show and it's like, oh my God, this wasn't like five years ago. This was, like I said, almost probably somewhere around... I'm gonna date myself 2002-ish maybe three-ish and yeah, when, uh, when I first right. came on the scenes with board track in the action sports industry actually it was actually a few years before that but I think the the first time I presented uh, at ASR I mean it was probably around 2000 or 2001 so you know right around there when uh, we started this uh, uh, the, you know time together and get to know each other so yeah, it's crazy. Crazy how much
1: time has passed. <laughs> yeah, the time does fly. It does.
0: Yeah. So you are, I'm going to give you a label, a serial entrepreneur. So let, let's dig into this a little bit and and really go back. And I want to go back to to, to your business, Blitz Distribution and Birdhouse. And, you know, what was it like? I mean, you're an athlete now. You're a movie star, right? Michael J. Michael <laughs> in and one day you wake up and say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a manufacturing company and a distribution company." So, I mean, what was the driver that that took you from athlete to business owner?
1: You know, I cut my teeth learning about business by managing my own professional career, like most of us did back then, when there were no agents, no managers, really, and by organizing demonstrations or exhibitions. I would call up shops all over the U.S. Hey, would you like me to come by and do a demo? That being said, you learned a lot about how business functions, what the relationship is between the pro, the sponsor, let's say Paul Peralta and a few others, and the shop, and the local media. And combining those two, if we all did a good job working together, the media would show up, and you would get some Press, which would be good for the shop, it would be good for skateboarding, and indirectly, of course, it would help my career trying to make a living because back then there was not much money in skateboarding. So, forward that idea of learning on the job as a pro skater, it was a natural to want to do your own company. Uh, But there was also a little rebellion, you know, skateboarders have always been seen as doing something uh, on on their own terms. Uh, It felt that the industry when you started poking around that it was mainly controlled by uh, people that hadn't really skateboarded. There wasn't the real true practitioners. Uh, So I think that was one part that we did when we started Birdhouse among some other um, companies that started either around that time or a little bit before, a little bit after. So we started this movement of turning the industry on its head by focusing on the skaters, on what the pros wanted uh, on the boards in terms of graphics, in terms of the shapes and concave and what have you. And that really propelled the industry and turned it eventually into what I call a global commerce phenomenon mm, uh, it's all over the world wanted to see these skaters wanted to follow what their next graphics were going to be what their ne- next trick was going to be uh, but all in all the underlying power that drove this global phenomenon was of course the fun aspect but you needed a distribution of the content and back then the technology that was thriving and Stacey Peralta was the first to leverage this uh, with the Paul Pralta skate videos that got so popular, it was uh, VCRs, you know, the Sonys and the Sanyos and mm-hmm. what have you, they were just cranking out VCRs and every household had to have one. And of course, the parents watched Romancing the Stone, but the kids were watching, you know, a Pau video. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the uh, one of the key uh, powers that we had a lot of aligned technologies plus newness plus the drive of skaters just want to go 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 and so they ended up being a good time to to start skating because we did we started it in a recession but little did we know we were definitely just going for it did not had not really read every single business book that there was to what do you do to start a business. And that's sometimes good because I kind of joke, but it's partially true. I did pick up a business book called how to do business in California. And after 16 pages, my head was spinning. I just threw in a, I threw in the trash. There's like all this administrative stuff. And why we, we want to make skateboards. We want to make cool things. And let's just go. So, uh, that's kind of a fun little uh, part, but it was actually partially true. Sometimes you just have to bury down and, and just do it. And yeah. that's exactly what we did. And we were a group of companies and competitors that we got along. The industry got along. We all wanted skateboarding to thrive on every corner of the world. And that I believe is now what people call the golden, uh, golden years of skateboarding the eighties and the early nineties.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, uh, it, early on in the 90s worked for pacific Sunwear and got to travel around the country and part of our audience was trying to understand skateboarding and and that that experience led me to to uh, start board track so yeah it's uh it, it, and now about the golden years but i certainly it was booming during those times and certainly into the into the 2000s. I was the guy tracking the numbers, so I saw that. And I mean, really, I I tell people, yeah, it was like a cottage industry that blew up into a multi-billion-dollar industry. It's just crazy. If I'm not mistaken, has skateboarding officially got into the Olympics?
1: Yes, skateboarding has been voted into the Olympics, and it will premiere at the Tokyo Olympics now postponed to 2021. So yes.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And I remember in the in years back and all the committees and the trips to to the associations in Washington and wherever you guys were all going really lobbying to make that happen. So I mean, from, you know, uh, the early days of I guess skateboarding it on the, the walks in Venice to uh, the Olympics, it has come a long way.
1: Absolutely, it has.
0: So so let's continue on now is, you know, you're a professional skateboarder, you got a business, and then um teen years later, I don't know what that actual transition was, you you move into being a venture capitalist and, and starting to invest and in, in analyze companies uh, for those types of investments. So, how do you, how have you leveraged your business experience in helping to identify companies that you want to invest in? And is there a second part of that? Is is there a process, because you guys are niched, is there a process you go through in your vetting?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, what I would say on the leveraging part, after building quite a few companies, you really start to get a sense of what it is that makes a company tick. Uh, and that is really three main components to make a company work and that's the same three components I learned the hard way and the good way for 25 plus years to now where you can look at and help a startup and it starts with the idea itself and the idea could be a product the idea of course could be uh, a service is the idea really 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 good and is it something that I would want to use or some in my kind of network would want to use? So it's very basic and practical for, from my vantage point. So let's say it you, 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 it, you check that uh, box, if you will, and then you move to the uh, next piece, which is the people and the leadership. Who is the person that's in charge? What's the grit level. How hard does this person work? Are they people-oriented? Do they have a sense of uh, EQ? Do they have a level of EQ, Uh, emotional intelligence? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they malleable? Now, when you're on the sideline, you want to see, okay, it's good to have a leader that has a strong conviction. But if they are a poor listener and don't take any advice from, let's say, the group like us or people on in my group that have experience in 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 a particular company then it's a it's a challenge but the leadership has to be there Uh, and certainly the 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 opportunity to to see that the person can become a strong leader but the absolute most important part is part three and it's what i call movement Um, i look at an idea and i say i like that but what's the timing of this? Is this the right timing? And that's part of the movement. Is there a tribe that's already thriving around this in a very small microcosm that could become big? Um, or is it something that we can come in as a VC and help propel this movement? And that movement, you know, if you want to use a kind of a fancy word, it's crowd marketing. Mm-hmm. You want to get people to get so excited about what it is that this company and group of companies are doing that they want to share it with the next person. Uh, and when you look up uh, the internet to find out what the number one reason is for companies failing uh, or being successful—probably a nicer way to put it—they almost allocate fifty-five zero percent on timing and. That is one of the strengths that we have, and I believe uh, we've been able to demonstrate uh, in the first fund here. We have an extraordinary luck, skill of seeing in murky waters. We know how to look for those cool new ideas. If there was clear water, which then anybody could find these Mm -hmm. gems, but the murky waters is where it's hard to find And that, I believe, is our strength. And being based in Los Angeles and having uh, also access to capital in Australia, my partner lives in Australia. He's uh, born and raised in in China, lives in in Sydney now. Uh, We feel we can pool funding. And many of the companies we will find out about from right here in L.A. area. Some are based here but LA is such a epicenter for uh, emerging trends and certainly the epicenter to make trends go global. So we feel that is something uh, that's very powerful with being based here, having this fund that focuses on lifestyle culture and some technology, It's, it's perfect to be here. Uh, But in the end, it comes down to number one again, is the idea good? Number two, is this a strong leader that can build this company? And number three, is there movement around it or can we help build the movement around it to answer that very difficult timing question where you have to look in that crystal ball and say, hey, what's going on now? What's going to go on in two, three, four years
0: OK, do you do you, um, you know, I, I've talked to some other venture groups and sometimes the the people within the group like yours actually get involved in the, kind of the management and the running of, of some of these companies. And I'm, I'm going to assume you guys do not because you're also part of your equation is making sure that there is good leadership in the companies that you invest in. But do you
1: to answer that in a in a in uh, a. In the best way would be our focus has been to invest in fewer companies and go a, a little bit deeper, although we are a, a micro VC fund. And with that, it allows us to be available for the uh, leaders and the managers of the company. And some companies ask of our help more than others. Uh, but we do not have a contract uh, where we are also uh contractor or fractional uh, management. No, but we, we provide information when they want to. And some companies, we have standing uh, calls where we talk to them on a regular basis and try to be there for them and find ways to really leverage our network. It's all about leverage in the end. Where can we leverage to help this company propel? Mm -hmm. And then down the line, what's going to make this company valuable for either an exit for my investors and valuable for the founders that may at some point either want to take some chips off the table or entirely um, be acquired by a larger company and in some cases continue running it. And at that time of course we would be out as a a, an early on investor and that's kind of part of the model that we're okay with that and of course the companies we invest in they have to understand the dynamic between a vc investor and their own goals in terms of uh, making a financial um, uh, you know strong financial well-being i should say
0: okay the, um, so how many companies have you invested in so far? I mean, you're a relatively young investment group.
1: Yeah, so we have invested in un- under 10. We, are, we're, we have a few uh, on, on the verge of being invested in, but we are a very small fund. But it allows us, uh, a- again, it allows us a little bit more time to, to go into uh, being helpful to the management, really.
0: Okay. What's been the biggest challenge in, in building this business?
1: I'd say this, the biggest challenge is when you talk to people that are willing to invest in alternative investments, because VC is uh, seen as an alternative investment for semi-sophisticated investors. And their first uh, pool or bucket is they have their own company. Second bucket, they have stocks and bonds. Another bucket may be real estate. So we come in then at bucket number four or five. And when most people think of VC, they think of uh, AI, machine learning, uh, bioscience, companies that can uh, have huge success, but many of the companies that are part of a VC fund fail. Uh, Last time I read it, it seems like only one investor of 20 uh, investing in VC actually make money. Mm -hmm. And that was disturbing to me. It was uh, an article in TechCrunch a few years back and I said, it's gotta be a different way. So we focus, instead of doing what some people may refer to as spray and pray, we take our time and we invest very carefully and only in stuff that the group understands and making sure there is a fit between leadership and us that they totally understand the power of branding. Uh, The value of brand on a balance sheet and the value of brand to get strategic partnerships can be so powerful and even create a stronger sustainable advantage compared to even an ip because most companies that uh, are in the world of ip in the tech world people walk they work there are workarounds whether it's software or what have you Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to say yeah i'm going to be the next apple uh of course they are a design house and now also software company um but the, the nurturing of branding for Apple is, is the pinnacle of, of, of branding. And you can do that on a much smaller scale on much smaller companies and have a success in niche for sure. And that's kind of our thinking and our approach to investing. So the hardest part has been to convince investors that this is something that's going to be viable. And I do believe there will be more VCs following uh, our lead, as I believe uh, to stand out, branding and storytelling is going to become more important, even for any type of business, whether it's uh, technology or the more typical lifestyle brands like apparel or footwear or BMX or skateboarders.
0: OK, fantastic. Well, I mean, I'm a marketer and a brand guy. And, and boy, you're just uh, you just took me to church because uh, those are exactly the way I feel. And I talk to to my clients that, you know, it isn't just about the product or the service. It, it's ultimately about the brand. And because the brand can really take you a lot of different places that the single service or the single product or multiple products really can't. And uh, so brand protection is is utmost always on my mind when I talk to talk to my clients and prospects and my presentations. So absolutely. So we are we're coming down to the end. Um, but uh, you just made an announcement uh, about a new partnership with uh, another firm. I think it's called Swell Capital to start a new investment fund. And and I saw on your press release, I mean, you got pretty much you got to cast a thousands uh, or, or at least a, an elite cast of advisors that I saw, and I know some of them. So why don't you talk a little bit about this new fund and what the direction, if it's different, or if it's the same, just giving you greater capabilities? So let's learn about that.
1: Yeah, so I believe our first fund, we're cutting our teeth on it in terms of investing with this thesis of really thinking about the branding component to lifestyle companies and tech companies. Uh, this new fund uh, ideally when it's closes, uh, we will have the exact same thesis we're focusing on lifestyle culture and tech but the tech has to make sense and it has to be relatable to to the companies we we invest in or the, to the concept of storytelling and brand building and we partner with swell capital uh one reason is um felipe Kuznir is very well connected. He's from Brazil. He has an action sports background just like I do. And his network and skill complements uh, uh, all our advisors in a fantastic way. Uh, So we believe this is going to pull in hopefully more people to uh, enjoy the ride with us because that's one of the things we always say, it's one thing to invest in a mutual fund and that's fine. But it's, I believe, much more fun to invest in something where it's something relatable. I mean, almost all the guys uh, on our fund wants to buy a cake motorcycle, electric motorcycle. So the idea is we just want to have really cool companies, but not just be blinded by that. We want to make sure that uh, it's going to be a successful company and ideally have those financial returns. So we balance the fun with the eye on making sure that, uh, the investors is going to feel like it's, it's both psychologically and financially rewarding to be part of this new fund. All
0: right. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you. So this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I learned something, uh, I, uh, about your days in Hollywood. I'm, I'm, I'm excited now to go back and watch that movie. I always like watching that movie anyway. Um, So why don't we take a a couple seconds here then and and tell the listeners how they can contact you, learn about the fun. If they got a great idea they want to present to you and all that good stuff.
1: Oh, well, well, that's very nice of you. The best way would be to uh, go on to our website. And uh, the website is wellendershe.com, W-E-L-I-N-D-E-R-S, as in Sam, H-I.com. And there is a way to get in contact with us there. That would probably be the best way. And I'm always on LinkedIn. So if you want to contact me directly, uh, that would be great as well.
0: All right. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening and joining us at the cafe today. You can find out more about me, read my blogs or view my show videos or sign up to receive future information at theponzigroup.com or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And if your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me. I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to let others know about it so they can enjoy the great content like you heard today from Pear. You can go to thebusinessgrowthcafe.com, my website, or any major podcast platform. Join me next week for lunch at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.